0: Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. In this two-part episode, I speak to two different alternative data providers. First up, it's Ed Dean of Woodseer, a London-based company which gives its clients an investing edge with accurate dividend forecasting. And in the second half, I speak to Luke Kennedy of Fable Data, one of the first credit card transaction data companies to tackle the European market. I began my conversation with Ed by asking how his and Woodseer's backgrounds first came to intersect.
1: Um, Thanks for having me. So the business, we're actually called Investment Tools Limited, and the business was founded in 2011 by my two business partners, Mark and Jono, who are still in the business to this day. We run it together, the three of us and they met each other at commerce bank where they were working and mark is a financial analyst and jono is a techie and they set up the business at that time with a full focus on dividend forecast data and it was generated manually by mark and put online with some analytics tools by jono and that is a live product to this day focused on retail clients and it's under the name dividend max and i was uh, i consider myself a recovering entrepreneur and i'd spent um, 12 years in shanghai came back to london in 2015 and was looking for my next thing that i wanted to get into which was either going to be i was going to start something or i was going to get involved you know with something relatively the early stages as an equal partner which is what happened and i met mark and john o when dividend max had been going for five, seven years, something like that, and was doing fine. It was growing slowly. It was all right. And as I say, it's still going. But when I came on board, they had recently signed a deal with our partner, EDI, Exchange Data International, who are a London-based reference data business, been going since the mid-90s. And we signed a, a, a deal with them to take their global corporate actions feed, which comes into our system. And we receive that four times a day. They have a team of 400 people in India who are who are who are harvesting and pulling together that data. And so we, having signed that deal, wrote the algorithm using the knowledge and experience of um, the dividend max product the, of how dividends work. We basically codified that, applied that in an algorithm to the global corporate actions data set, which obviously has every public listed company in the world. So we have all the dividend history, we get the dividend uh, declarations same day, uh, occasionally next day. And essentially, that was the genesis of the Woodseer product. So my f- one of the first things I got to do was, was think up the name Woodseer, which was um, named after a street in London because I'd never worked in the city, in the financial city before. And I was walking around looking at all these cool street names going, there's some good names here and they should be used. And then we were looking at Iron Man has Jarvis and uh, IBM has Watson. And these are kind of old fashioned sounding English names that, that, that are associated with a, with a technology tool.
0: Is the, uh, uh, well, I saw it and I, is, so is there nothing about seeing the wood for the trees? no no
1: the, the fact that it has SEER as in you know s e e r um a, a seer of the future was sort of relevant, but no, we pulled together a list of i literally spent an hour going through Google Maps pulling out names where dot online was available <laughs> good interesting sounding street names and one of our other products in beta is called lime burner after some street somewhere in the city uh,
0: interesting interesting okay um and so um your, the the business essentially uh, receives the corporate actions and uh, predicts future dividends. Is there is there a is there a speed action to it? Is is it about receiving the the information and turning it around quickly, or is it very long term?
1: Well, the algorithm uh, uh, is is changing itself. Uh, sorry, it's not changing itself. The algorithm updates its forecasts as and when it receives new information. So when it receives an, an update a declaration or something happens that, that that's new then it will either make a change or it won't and all of the changes get put in front of our analysts and and this is a really important point to make is it's not just an algorithm at all it's, it's very very much a hybrid algorithm plus analyst product so we like to see it as quote unquote the best of human and machine intelligence combined it would be very difficult to do this with an algorithm purely um, and it would be very difficult to do this at scale with just people, just analysts. And it's the, the, the real, where the magic happens is the, is the two working together. And so we've been doing this now. We, we, we were building it from 2016. So we've got four coming up on five years experience of this product now. So, so it, it, it works well. It, it does well for us.
0: And what's your edge on the traditional sources of, of of dividend forecasting?
1: So first of all, we launched in January twenty seventeen with three times the coverage of, of 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 the other providers. So we launched out of the box with over twenty-five thousand securities where we have a forecast. Um, secondly our accuracy as we understand it we've never done a direct comparison because we've never seen the competitors uh, data obviously but we have clients who have signed with us away from the competition and we have clients who've signed with us alongside as a a supplementary source alongside the competition and um, they've done accuracy testing and So we know from that that we are at least equivalent on accuracy. And frankly, we believe in some cases we're better. So we're three times the coverage, uh, equivalent or better accuracy. And by dint of being a a tech business and um, not not paying for expensive offices in a big glass building and, and all the rest of it, we can offer efficiencies as well. And I suppose those are the key three. And then the fourth one would be flexibility. You know, we're, we're, we're still a smallish business, around 10 people. So we're small enough to, to, to customize and, and, and also large enough to deliver on that. So flexibility is, is is good with some clients, but a lot of clients just say, give me the data and off we go.
0: Okay. Um, and so who is using you? What, what, what does your average client look like? So it's interesting, actually, when we
1: first put the product together, we had a sense that this was going to be valuable data, but we didn't know who to for exactly what purposes. And we put it out there and went out and marketed it and started selling it and found happily that there are multiple use cases for dividend forecast data with lots of different types of businesses. So we currently work with options market makers options uh trade firms that are trading options um we're working with hedge funds we're working with index providers we're working with some fintech fintech clients all in all it's it's something that's you know works for different people in different ways so we some are using it for stock selection stock evaluation some are using it for income planning tax planning some are using it for you know, literally finding alpha um, others are using it for calculating indices, uh, options trading, options pricing because of our ex-div date forecasts, and um, yeah, it's 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 worked really well. We're, we're very happy.
0: And do you see the product evolving, or are you are you um, is there are there any changes in the pipeline for what you what you provide?
1: We. Do we we at the moment the most of the development is is iterating just to just to keep tweaking, keep improving, keep getting more timely, uh, all of that type of stuff. Down the track, I'm pretty confident we will look to um, implement late new newer technologies to do things in a different approach. You know, kind of looking for more of a paradigm shift in what we're doing. At, at the moment. What we're doing is is very good. Is providing all of our clients what they need. In fact, we've been we've we've been selling this now for coming up on uh, five years, and um, we we haven't lost a client yet. Touchwood, we have zero churn. So every client that signed with us is still working with us to this day. So we must wow. be doing something right.
0: That's a great
1: fact. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, that won't last forever because it never does. I've done enough businesses to know that it's impossible to have hundred percent retention rate, you know, <laughs> indefinitely. Well,
0: some, some, some of them because will go people change. At some
1: point. You know, well, some people go bust, some people get acquired, some people just, you know, a department gets closed down, whatever it might be. But but Touchwood, we're good, good so
0: far. Okay, um, and while I have you, and you obviously um, swim in the dividend pool all the time, any any market commentary? What 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 trends are you seeing in terms of in terms of dividend? What's this year been like?
1: Well, this year's been a, a, an interesting one, I'll say that. We um, obviously with COVID, we my, my Mark, our, our you know my business partner, our, our lead analyst, head of research, whatever you want to call him, he said that. Previously to this year, we might see one dividend cancellation a year globally, maybe. Very rare. Come the third week of March, they started dripping in, and we started to see hundreds in the UK alone during April. And even more so, these were cancellations of, in some cases, cancellations of dividends that had actually been declared. Um, So so this this was very rare, rather than ones that were expected to be declared. Um, so that, that was an interesting one for us. We have seen some of those come back, um, be reinstated over the summer, towards the end of the summer. It's, it's definitely, it, the algorithm struggled with it at first, as you would expect. And this is why we have the analysts, obviously, and the analysts were, were able to pick that up. Um, we, it's hard to, to go into the details because it's not my space. I'm not the, I'm, you know, I'm, I haven't got my head in the data in the way that, that my colleagues do. What I can say is it's obviously based on sector and based on market and then to an extent by, by individual uh, company who's, who's, who, we're, who we're saying is going to continue not paying and who we believe is going to start paying and, and how much. That's all done on a very, very company sector and market
0: basis. Fantastic. Okay. Well, it sounds like it's been it's been challenging for everyone, but it's uh I everyone will need to be be um, forecasting what's going to happen, whether, whether that things are going to happen are good or bad. Um, so either way you'll be in business.
1: Yeah, we've, I mean, we've, we've had, we've had a very good year. The last six months we've been signing one or two contracts every month, new contracts. So, uh, it's turned out well, I, I don't know whether that's because of COVID or whether because, because that would have happened anyway, but we've, we've picked up business since COVID came along for one reason or another. And, um, all being well, we we we
0: anticipate that continuing. It's the story of alternative data, isn't it? Everybody needs to understand more in these difficult times, and so they're they're looking to to new forms of of of, of information. Ed, thank you, thank you so much for for joining me today. Very interesting, and uh, we will be watching how you progress with interest.
1: Thank you, Mark. Have a good day.
0: Next up is Luke Kennedy of Fable Data a company which provides anonymous credit card transaction data from European banks to clients of all different types. I began by asking Luke how he got into this business.
2: Of course, thank you. Thanks for having, thanks for having me, Mark. Yes, I, um, I've always been interested in getting a better understanding of the world. I, I started my career in, in the Treasury here in the UK and um, then moved into um, the world of um, public affairs, which is, which is lobbying. And I was always frustrated with the, um, the lack of, of real-time data on, on what was going on in the, in, in the economy, either when I was in, in the world of government or when I was working with, with large corporations. Um, You're often playing guesswork as to how the economy was performing in real time. Um, about ten years ago, um, I set up a business called One Four Zero Group, which um, very much in the early days of alternative data, working with a lot of web scrape data, um, sentiment data, search data, um, clickstream data, um, which we I started packaging up for the investment community, and um, had a lot of a lot of fun with that business. But again, um, there was some element of frustration that. Um, the while well, that uh, data that you draw from from that that digital web based world, um, was really insightful and really useful, um, you still didn't actually know uh, in pounds and pence or in or in dollars what a consumer was actually doing with their with their money. Where were they spending it? They might be um, talking. Um, happily about about a particular brand or a particular merchant, um, they might be visiting a merchant's website, um, but actually, were they were they spending more money there? And how was that merchant performing? So, I started looking for transaction data um, as a um, as a data set that I could plug into to my existing business, what one four zero, and obviously being based in based in the UK, most of my client needs at that point in time were were European. And um I didn't have much luck. I spoke to a number of banks and credit card companies w- within within Europe and said, uh, we have this use case for anonymized uh, transaction data and um, can we please work together and the answer we got pretty quickly was 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 a no and um, that was very frustrating. What year is this so this would have been twenty 2016, 2017, and that was frustrating because, well firstly we wanted the data, but secondly there was a, an emerging um, and developing market for US transaction data, as I'm sure you and many of your listeners are aware, um, there are a, a large number of providers of, of transaction data in, in the US, and indeed outside of the US now, and I thought that, if that, if someone who solved this problem which is getting getting banks and credit card companies to share data someone solved this problem in the us um let's give it our best shot of trying to solve this problem in in, in europe um obviously at that point in time had gdpr coming into force um there was a backdrop of things around cambridge analytica so we had to met uh, we needed an approach which could navigate a lot of the sensitivities and um and over a number of years, we, we developed a solution that had um, data ethics at its core, as well as a number of technical and scientific and commercial solutions.
0: So, so, sorry, Luke, so you had to do the job for the banks, essentially. You had to create the program. And when it was all clean and ready and functional, then they said, OK, you can have our data. They didn't, they didn't do the technical stuff themselves.
2: Um, it's, it's 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 a true partnership we had to find we had to work with banks to um to, for, for them to get comfortable for us to get comfortable with what um, was um, legal and ethical and desirable but still maintained you know full value or as close to full value in the data as possible so yeah we we've redeveloped technology solutions um, in partnership with banks um, to en- enable the the flow of Fully anonymized transaction data from uh, financial institutions
0: to to Fable. Okay. And so, which which banks are we talking about? All banks in Europe, or have you got a have you got a, an area with a focus?
2: We have a we have an aspiration for full European coverage. Um, we are strong in the UK, in Germany, and in Spain, and are developing in France and Italy at the moment. And I expect some of the um, other, other sort of peripheral parts of, of Europe, particularly Central Europe, um, Portugal, the Nordics, we are, are all in our pipeline, um, though at the moment we're, we're prioritizing the larger European economies.
0: And when we're talking about transactions, are we including credit card transactions? And so would, would Visa and Mastercard get involved? Or is this more debit card because it's banks? How does that work?
2: Yeah, it's a mix. We we work with regulated financial institutions, um, including banks, credit card companies, financial technology businesses. Uh, we don't work with with Visa and Mastercard. They're not in the. They are not currently vendors of of transaction data, in at the granular and real time level, which is where we where we specialise.
0: Okay. Um, and so the banks um, agreed to give you their data, um, and then you. Uh, what do you do with it?
2: So the um, I think, as if any of your listeners have, have taken a look at, at transaction data, it in, in, its, in its raw form, um, it's very messy. Obviously, we we've, we've stripped out any PI personal identifiable information. That's to ensure that it is fully anonymized. However, um, what we then get given is a transaction string. And t- to take an example, um, a, a Tesco transaction string um, will differ for every Tesco store um, in the country. And it will, it will differ whether it's an uh, online or a uh, on, on the high street um, transaction. And obviously, Tesco have a number of other services or products beyond grocery, for example banking and insurance. So there is just, just just trying to identify taking Tesco as an example looking to um, fully categorize um, someone's spend at Tesco requires us really um, some very sophisticated um, machine learning which um, can read that transaction and categorize it according to um, the, the product or service that's being bought from, from Tesco and whether that's happened online or in a store. And if it has happened in a store, we locate that store um, by by postcode as well. So there's a lot of uh, engineering and science and, I'll be frank, a lot of data wrangling um, in order to to get that that data in a a usable format.
0: And when you say usable format, are you more interested in understanding uh, an anonymous person's spend over for example a month or a year or are you more interested in understanding what's been happening in a certain tesco store or all tesco stores or all of the above what are you what are you looking for
2: well that's this is the the wonderful thing about transaction data is it's it's breadth and depth of, of value and interest and um you can take i could take 10 different people um tell them what we've got and they will come up with 10 different questions they don't want to ask of the data so everything you reference there is 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 possible on our on our data so yes you know we can we can um, track an individual's spending activity back over five years and seeing how that that has evolved um, obviously we, we can never identify that individual we have no interest and in, our clients have no interest in, in, in doing that but then as you say a lot a lot of the interest is in is at the merchant level. So um, how is a merchant performing? How is an individual store performing? And then how is a sector performing? Grocery, for example, or or e-commerce. And then even at the macro level, how is Germany or or Spain or UK performing right now from an aggregated um, spending perspective? And what we've found at that macro level is that we can get a very good steer, um, if not a very close prediction On the actual GDP figures um, across Europe through analysing row-level transaction data.
0: Sure. And how long after a transaction will it be available for for mining data mining?
2: Uh, Typically, a couple of days. Um, The financial institutions typically require twenty-four to thirty-six hours processing their side, then it's shipped to us immediately. Uh, We we turn that around within hours. So um, you're looking at around two days for the majority, overall majority of transactions to be accessible by our clients.
0: Pretty quick. Um, and so, who are your clients, and and what what are they using your data for?
2: Yeah. So our, our clients are um, are very are varied. Um, You'll you know it's, it's it's well known that these. Um, Quant hedge funds are, have, have a big appetite for alternative data, and we certainly found that um, ourselves. Um, but there's a, there's a wider, much wider use case beyond just quant hedge funds, um, particularly amongst the long-only and, and fundamental funds, as well. Um, the corporate world again is um, very interested in, in our data. They, they use the data to understand their customers. Um, and they use the data to understand their competitors. So, you know, we can help a merchant understand in in real time, um, is their market growing? Who are they losing customers to um, or or winning from? How is the competitor's promotion impacting customer behavior in the marketplace? Uh, What's the catchment area for a particular store? Um, Those those are the sort of things that we help um, corporates with. We also do a lot of work with private equity, venture capital, And um, actually one of the very interesting areas um, where we work is within academia. Um, We work with, uh, I think over half a dozen leading global universities on a a pro bono basis, providing our our data. Um, In return, they undertake R&D on the data and and deliver public research um, on it as well. And then finally, we work with a lot of policymakers, um, harking back to my, my early days within government, um, I, I knew that having a real time steer on how particular towns or cities or sectors or the whole economy was performing would be incredibly valuable. So from day one, we'd be providing data um, into central banks and
0: treasury and finance departments uh, across Europe. Okay. And so let's talk about, for example, a fund um, and they have um, asked for access to the data. How does that work? Do they get a full, the free reign over all of your data all at once? Or do they buy, you know, uh, a, a particular data set? How, how, does, how does that work?
2: It, so we have a, uh, a European panel. I think it's an, an important um, part of our D- DNA as a business is that, is that, you know, we are building a European wide consumer transaction panel. So um, clients typically will buy um, that entire European panel. Um, and then we, we do sell solutions on top of that panel. So some aspects of technology and analytics and able to, to access and unlock that data through, for example, the user interface or through automated reports um, that will draw out insight and, and KPIs um, around particular merchants or, or particular sectors. Um, but it's still, I mean, it, just so you understand, we're, we're a very young business. Um, obviously, I, I spent um, 16, 17 um, conceptualizing and looking to problem solve and getting get the business off the ground. It then took us three years to convince and secure um, data at a very large scale um, for us to launch into the market and and, and we launched six months ago. Um, so it launched product six months ago. So it's, you know, it's still very early days. We're in a lot of conversation with a lot of, um, a lot of people who would like our data about how we can provide them with the data in terms of what data they want, what access they need, what tools they need to unlock that data. So, um, We've had some some really pleasing success in these six months, but um, we're still very much learning ourselves about what, what the market wants from, from this data.
0: Does it feel like you've entered a competitive market or do you feel um, ahead of the game?
2: Um, we're very early, very, very early. Um, there's, there's a number of people trying this within Europe. Um, I think we're... We're certainly towards the, towards the top, if if not leading the, the the pack in terms of actually getting European data at scale, um, at a granular, real time level into in, into the marketplace. But um, and competition will will come, and and competition is not not a bad thing. Um, we need a lot of help to to grow the market in Europe for the alternative data generally, but specifically transaction data. When you're the only supplier, it can be a little bit lonely. Um, and actually having a few other voices out there, helping, helping to grow the market, is something we would, we would welcome. And, um, look, this, you know, we're, we're a very strong believer in the future of this type of data in terms of how it will drive economic decision making at, at, at many levels in many different types of institutions. And there's, there's a, a very, very, very large market for us all to go after and um, There's a lot of room for other people to come in and and help us with that and and innovate
0: as well. For sure. So um, looking forward, uh, Fable Data, obviously you mentioned, is is looking to increase its its footprint in places like the Nordics and Portugal. Um, what do you see um, for the sector? Um, where can you see any future uses which aren't being tapped?
2: Um, I think. Um, this this data ultimately will um, need to be um, democratised and um, put into the hands of, of not just very large businesses or very large investors, but genuinely in the hands of, of, of SMEs. Um, and, you know, there's uh, we have the data to, to do that today. You know, I can go to my local high street and there's a number of you know, very, very small businesses there that may have one or two shops or a very very small chain. And there's as much value in our data for them as there is for a large global merchant. And while we um you know, we're starting in terms of product development to build solutions for large institutions, where we want to take this data ultimately is 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 to everyone and to ensure that whether you've got one store or 2000, you have the ability to unlock um, an understanding of your local economy, your local consumers, where they're shopping, and where there's where there's gaps in in supply and demand, so that you can you can grow your own business. And I think we're yeah you know, we're just as passionate about um, about serving that end of the market as we are serving um, multinationals.
0: Fantastic. Well, Luke, it sounds like a very exciting time to be in European transaction data. Um, thank you very much indeed for, for joining us today, and um, I wish you great success in the future.
2: Thank you, Mark. Nice, nice to nice to talk, and good luck with the good luck with the podcast. Thanks
0: very much.